Welcome to episode 31 of Ad Creative, a new show from Pencil about the unexpected ideas that have changed the game for DDC founders and operators with a focus on actionable takeaways. I'm Chase Moseni. Thanks for joining us. Today we're joined by Matthew Gatosi, founder and CEO of Goodo Studios, a DDC creative agency that helps brands create performance creative with high level creative production. What I love about Matthew is how varied his career is. He studied and became a professional ballet dancer from early on in his teen years all the way to his early 20s. And when he had a back injury, he pivoted into offering creative services through COVID, founded Goodo Studios and was able to build something that's really meaningful to different brands. What he gives us here is really deep insight into what it takes for DTC brands to scale their creative testing, whether they're working with Godot or not, and an insight into a young founder who's learning on the job, how to create a team, how to create a culture, and what really, really matters. I think this one is incredibly, incredibly deep. Matt is willing to share insight into all of these things and more, and I'm really excited for you to spend some time with him. So without further ado, on to episode 31 of Ad Creative. Thanks for spending time with us. Enjoy. Yeah, so as I was dancing, I started a blog right out of high school called The Odyssey, Chasing the Dream. And it was just all about, uh, you know, me traveling and, and documenting my time as a dancer. I think so many people, they don't know what the heck I did as a dancer. It's very foreign. And so I just kind of got used to telling my story and I was writing about you know, what it was like to pursue this and then eventually, you know, catch that dream. Well, as I was, you know, taking photos, I started getting into videos. I started making really stupid vlogs and all that stuff. They're terrible. They're still on YouTube. So you can go on my YouTube channel. You can see them. It's pretty bad. And, uh, you know, but I just fell in love with learning how to create photos and videos. Well, I stopped my dancing career because I had a pretty serious back injury. And this was back in uh, 2018-ish. And at the time, you know, that's when Instagram really started to kind of skyrocket. And any business had needed photos and videos. And so um, I actually started very locally with like restaurants and food trucks. Um, and that's kind of like more my freelance, you know, time. Uh, and, and that's how I started in Austin. Well, COVID happened and all of my local business basically was gone. You know, I was shooting ACL, which is a big uh, music festival. I was shooting South by Southwest. Um, and all this was really great up until that point. But I realized that, hey, you know, the one thing that we still need is food and we got to go to grocery stores. And so that's how I got into kind of like, um, you know, e-commerce and direct to consumer. And then from there, I realized, hey, there's actually this whole online platform of Facebook ads and all this other creative. And I realized that there was something missing, you know, kind of that, that very art and cinematic, you know, perspective. And how can we bring that with conversion and, and kind of put those two together? And ultimately, that's my goal is to not only make ads that look good, but also convert. And so that's where Goodo Studios really kind of came into play. And then I realized if I could build a team around this, I could do so much more than just myself. And that is kind of my overall goal now is to build a team that can help brands um, and really create amazing creative for them. That is, um, it's so funny uh, when you talk to people about what COVID did to their businesses. And obviously it's, it's not always great. Um, but you know, they always, you know, the, the old adage pressure is where, you know, pressure forms diamonds, um, and you know, iron creates iron and all of those, all of those fun things, but it is, it is one of those, okay, I have this skill. I know that this matters. Where can I employ it that works today? Um, and so I think f for any entrepreneur or anyone who's thinking about starting a business is know what you're good at. Sometimes we want to go and create something that has nothing to do with what we know. And that's good because you have an idea and that works. Um, but a lot of times you've got to just lean into like what makes you special and what kind of, you know, what kind of skill that you have and then figure out the best place to employ those, uh, employ those skills. So we've talked about kind of your origins, how you came up with the idea. Um, what during this process has been hard that you didn't expect? 
I think the hardest thing for me is learning how to get out of my own way and get help sooner. I think as somebody coming from, you know, the, the more of the freelance side, when you're starting to build a team, um, it's easy to just want to do it and jump in and do it. And uh, something that I've been watching recently and rewatching is Chef's Table. And I love Chef's Table because you're seeing some of the best chefs in the world they are, they've spent their whole entire lives to, you know, create this food and, uh, and create this kind of production, if you will, um, in, in their own, you know, industry. And so what I've noticed is that, uh, they have all these sous chefs and, you know, smaller line cooks. And it's amazing that even though like that dish that they have is under their name, um, they had so many people that all are working together to create that. And when you see the chefs making corrections, they don't jump in line and start cooking. They are still kind of helping the cooks learn from it. And so one of the biggest things that has taken me a long time and something that I am really just starting is how can I empower other people to, to do the work um, versus just you know, kind of throwing that away and actually just doing it myself because I can only do so much. And if I really want to create the work that I aspire to create uh, for brands, I need help. And so I'm learning how to do that. It's taken some time, but I think as I've gotten better at that, so has my business. And that's when things have grown. Um, it's scary, definitely at first. Um, but it's something that I'm working towards. And to be honest, I haven't really had much experience um, with that, right? So I come from a dancing background and then from there I'm owning my own business. I've never had a good manager. You know, the ballet world is a very different world. It's not corporate. Even if you were at a startup, there's still a little bit of, you know, some sort of experience that you have. I've had none of that. And so how am I supposed to be a good boss? I have no idea. I'm figuring this out as we go. Um, and so I've been inspired to see that show because that's definitely been the hardest thing for me. So it's a really, I don't know. I don't know why I haven't thought of it this way before. Um, but as you were speaking, kind of something came to my mind, which is when you're a CEO or a founder and you're building a team, you almost have two jobs. One is making revenue to keep the business afloat and close deals. One is like building the team and a structure. And those are two separate businesses simultaneously. So it's like the business of keeping the business running and then the business of actually having enough money to keep the business running. Like if you're, if you're saying, okay, we have these two sides of the business, which one do you find more challenging today? And has that evolved over time? I think, structure is is hard for me you know i mean i'm gonna be honest i'm a creative person right uh i think i've learned a lot i think i've the reason why i've been successful as a creative person is because i've leaned into the data i've leaned into the structure and i think i have brought a lot more structure comparative to most creatives um or other artists so i think that's helped me got to this point but i think um, when I really think about my strengths, you know, I, I still, at the end of the day, like I, I'm obsessed with working with my camera and, and photos and videos. Right. And so I can just spend hours doing that, but to get into, you know, my project management tools and putting that together. And even though I aspire to have all these SOPs, like it's still just very difficult for me. So I think that's building the structure is, is very hard. It's something that I have to really work on. But what I am leaning on in terms of, even though I'm, I know I'm not like the best at that, what I'm leaning on is my ballet training. So in ballet, there are things that I was really good at and other moves that I wasn't as good at, but that didn't mean that I stopped practicing those. I just meant that I had to really, you know, put a lot more effort to those weaknesses. Um, and, and so I'm really trying to, um, kind of dissect how I train as a dancer and then implement that in my training as an entrepreneur. And I think I see a lot of, um, you know, parallels to it. And so right now, you know, I'm really trying to just focus on the weaknesses uh, because I know that's the thing that's holding me back right now. So I think that's a really interesting kind of, I don't know, uh, interesting cross section is 
there is no school for being an entrepreneur. There's entrepreneurial school, which is crap because it's teaching you theory, which you need, but it's really about operating, right? And once you operate, then you figure out all these things and all the theory goes out the window. Um, but having that kind of muscle, that training in terms of detail. And I think if you go to, for instance, any kind of sports level training for anyone who's done it at a high level, there is a, there's kind of, there's a, like a formula, right? It's consistency, rigor, and just time, right? And all of those things come in. Like you said, there'll be natural things that you're good at and you're like not as good at and some stuff that you're crap at. And it's essentially understanding like the distribution of, okay, I know that I've got this, so I need only to spend 10% of my time because I'm killer at whatever move, whatever move or whatever part of the business that is. But this other 30% or 40%, um, which is only 10% of the game, but it could come up is my weakest point. So I got to spend most of my time getting that right. So it's not a weak point. How long did it take you to understand that that was something? Because I think this is like, we all like, I just said it at the beginning. So I'm almost being completely hypocritical. Like lean into your strong suits and, and make a business out of that. But after you've done that, there's all these things that like are part of creating a business and running it that don't align with your strong suit. So how do you, how have you essentially dissected those things and found it out? Has it been through having teammates or having customers that have pointed things out to you? Or is it something that you just have to go in with like a fine tooth comb and look through all of the kind of mistakes you've made over time? I think it's a few things. Um, I think, you know, I'll start this answer with the fact that owning your own business is a lot harder than what's portrayed online. And recently I've thought of a lot about how the four hour work week, although a fantastic book that really taught me how to value my time, I've realized that that probably has done a lot of harm because it's, it's really kind of brought this message in that like, you can make this lifestyle business. It's amazing. Da, 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 da. And I think that's really untrue because when you get into it, you know, I'm building a team. Okay. I, all of a sudden I have to have meetings. So if the whole point of this was to, you know, like be free of time and no meetings, it's like, well, you actually literally cannot get collaborative work done if you do that. And like, even though people want this asynchronous, you know, lifestyle and all this stuff, I just don't think that that's fully possible and that's okay. So I think that there's just a reality that, no matter, even if you're in a job, even if you're just a contributor on a startup or in, on a brand, whatever, you're going to have to do the things that you don't always want to do. And you can't always get it the way you want. And here I'm saying that because I was able to dance professionally. I did that. And that's the thing that I loved, but there was plenty of things about it that I didn't love about it. And so I've lived the dream job, you know, I've done the dream job. And so I think I've understood that at a very young age, whereas there's a lot of people in my generation who still kind of have that fantasy of it. Um, but then to, you know, to get down to the nitty gritties of how I actually was able to like think about it and how do I see it? I think what's been very helpful is, you know, coming in to your work with ultimate humility and always asking, how can you get better? It's a core value that I have with Goodo Studios. But one of the things is, is that I want to be able to not only create a five-star experience, but what does a 12-star experience look like with my clients? And a lot of times it comes from making a lot of mistakes. And if you're humble, then those mistakes um, are not bad. Those edits, those revisions aren't about you. Um, but you're able to actually take those and actually grow from it. I think a lot of people in the service industry or, you know, agency is that they have this very pride. Like I know the answers and the clients are always wrong. But what I've tried to take is I'm always wrong. Not maybe not necessarily wrong, but I have something to learn from this. And if I can always come in with that attitude, I know that I can service not only this current client, but the next clients better and better. And ultimately, I just hope that people can trust in me to continue to make this process and the actual content that we create um, better and better over time. Have you found those values easy to communicate with team members? Because it's one thing to own a business and have that level of rigor or intensity about what you want to 
contribute to the world and how you want people to experience your brand because it's your brand. How do you, how have you fostered that level of ownership with, uh, with new teammates that have come into the, to the fold? I used to be not necessarily afraid of my story. Like I just kind of have at a certain point, um, you know, kind of stopped talking about the fact that I was, I used to dance, you know, that was a big part of my identity. And then it ended up stopping. And then here I was trying to kind of get people to know me as, you know, the photographer, the videographer, um, this creator. Um, but in doing so, I kind of left, uh, the the beauty of this past career that I had. And so more recently, I've really started to embrace my story. And what I mean by that is I started to realize the who I am today is because of that experience. And so the issue that I've had in the past with other working with other people is that I'm just like, why don't you work hard? Or like, why don't you care? And it's kind of this like unemotional thing. It's just to me, it's like a no brainer. Well, it's a no brainer because at eight years old, I was training at a high level. Um, and I have been training at a high level at basically what is an Olympic level. If you, if you watch like an Olympic skater, I was I've trained as much, if not more hours in high school. So it's like, I'm used to that level of work. Most people aren't, and that's okay. But what I need to do is ex express that, say, Hey, I come from this. This is what this means. Um, the reason why this is my value is because when I was dancing, I was told that whenever a guy is partnering a girl, the guy is always wrong because the guy is the one that's lifting the girls. You need to, as guys, take ownership and, and make sure that you're humble to hear what does the girl need to make sure that that lift is not only good, but safe. And so because of that, I have to now communicate that whole experience for them to understand it. But when I've learned how to embrace my story and communicate my story, that's when other people have started to say, oh, I get this. Now it makes sense. And so really, um, it's about having clarity on how to communicate those values and why those values are important to me. Um, so it's not enough just to say, be humble. You have to say, hey, I've done a lot of collaboration on a physical dancing level, and it really made the difference. Therefore, we're going to do that same thing when we're collaborating with our clients. And this is why. And then they understand how they can embody that in their actual, you know, client relationships and things like that. So I love to, I mean, I love all of that, but there are two things that I think are really, really um, important on that one. One thing you talked about is, um, is clarity. So physical movement, whatever it is, whatever you're doing provides clarity. Why does every neurologist say go and exercise every day it provides clarity, right? Doing something like collaborative dance, which is what ballet is, um, takes a lot of clarity of communication that's nonverbal simultaneously. Right? Obviously, you're in practice, you're saying do this, do that. But on game day, performance time, you're coming in and you can't sit there and yell, don't drop me, um, or that hurts, or that's wrong, or I'm going to fall. It's just... I, I use this all the time, but like if they fall, they fall. If he dies, he dies kind of Rocky four style. So, and that's not okay. Right. Like you said, if I'm doing a lift with a woman, they need to be protected. They need to trust me because that also affects all the next group of collaborators that I have going forward, because they're going to say, Matthew dropped Cindy. If he drops Cindy, he's going to drop me. And that affects every performance that affects how you get chosen for roles and performances, etc. Same thing applies for service industry, right? If you don't provide A plus service or, you know, like you said, 12 star service, you can't, you can't expect to get 12 star clients and have 12 star word of mouth and all of the things that kind of trickle down from that one single event. So yeah, you learn over time, but like you said, the communication for, to the team of this is the expectation because of these 10 reasons that kind of spider web out from here, I think is really, really important. The other big one you talked about, which I, I want to hear more about um, how that's kind of affected you on a day-to-day -day level is embrace your story. And so I'm a filmmaker originally, and I used to not talk about, I want to be a growth marketer. I'm data, 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 data. And what I found is the more I talk about it, the more, first of all, you get a lot of people saying, oh, I was like that too, or I studied that too. And, and they got a lot of like like a lot of camaraderie comes from, from having kind of sh shared experiences from that. The other one is 
people lean in and they want to know like, how did you get here? What did, what is that? What does that mean specifically? And you can kind of, they start being able to unpack certain things about you without you having to explain everything. And so I know that it's been like a boon for me. Um, and you're saying, okay, it's really helped you communicate with your team. How has it made you feel about yourself and your ability to kind of deliver on the job of running this business and, and helping people kind of live their lives? So as I said, I think before like dancing was my dream job. And so I kind of had this, th this millennial like dream. I finally caught my dream, right? Every, every millennial is like, I just want to do what I love and get paid for. It. And I was able to do that. Um, but the issue with that was that I put so much stake of my identity in what I did and why that was so hard was because everybody would introduce me. Hey, this is Matt. He's the dancer. You know, he's a professional dancer. Everybody's like, wow, I've never met a professional dancer. This is incredible. And it was, it was great. And not to say that that's like, um, you know, a bad thing to be introduced that way, but internally I put a lot of my worth in that title. When I, when I, in one moment, literally in one jump, I was in the air, I landed, my back goes out and slowly, but surely after the doctors and being out and, and just, it kind of like slowly kind of my career dissipated in six months, but it was in one moment. I don't have that identity anymore. And I was kind of left with no college degree. I was not that great at photos and videos, to be honest. Like I was just really getting started, you know, so don't act like I was like some, you know, really great artist. And I had lost everything that I kind of built up, you know, and I really put myself in that career. And so it's taken a lot of time. You know, I went through a really dark period um, of my life um, and I'm very open about this time. You know, I, I was partying a lot. Um, but then I actually became sober, um, and it's been four years. So actually kind of like my entrepreneurial journey is also connected with me being sober and me kind of grappling with this identity. But I say that because now fast forward four years to today, I am in a place where I don't have to lead out of insecurity of my identity. I know who I am. I am me, Matthew Gatozzi, and I am special for, for me. You know, I know that I bring a lot of value outside of just my work. So what that does, it takes a lot of pressure off of actually creating Goodo Studios. It takes a lot of pressure off of working with clients. Now, I'm not perfect. I constantly have to check in on that. I constantly have to, you know, it, it changes, right? As my responsibilities grow or the clients grow, which is exciting, new responsibilities, new challenges. So, you know, new insecurities come in, but ultimately it goes back to identity and being secure in your own identity as to who you are. So I'm still doing what I love, which is photos and videos, but now I'm doing it in a, in a different manner where it's not all this pressure is on it to work or has to be a part of me. And because of that, I'm actually enjoying it a lot more. Um, and, you know, I don't have any regrets in life, but I definitely wish that when I was dancing, because I didn't know that that was going to be my last time dancing or my last performance, I wish that I was more present. And so again, that's just something that I am working really deeply on every single day and have to check in on myself every day. I'm not perfect, but this is what I strive for in my life. So there's just so many amazing nuggets there. Um, I think the one, like one really impactful point, if anyone takes anything away from that, what, what Matt just said is decoupling your personal worth from your business worth and understanding that like irrespective of crushing it at work, you are a valuable part of society. I know that like work is just an amp, like it's an amplification and it's important to provide value and all, and all of those things. And like, there is a sense of purpose that comes from doing a good job at work, all of those things, but just outside of that, if you can find a sense of purpose and worth, it will actually make your work exponentially better and your ability to deliver value to your team exponentially better. Um, the other portion is mental health check-ins regularly to make sure that you're okay. In a remote world, 
multiplied X grind culture. Like it is, it can be a very, very unhealthy paradigm that we're living in, which is like grind. Let's post it on Twitter and, and Snapchat. I'm, you know, I'm the CEO. I, you know, I sleep two hours a night. Um, and all I do is work. It, all these things are good. And if that's what you want to do, God bless you. But understand that it's also okay to work 12 hours and sleep seven hours and have some, uh, you know, extracurricular, um, extracurricular things that, uh, that excite you. Now I will say, yeah, I, I have kids, um, and that stuff just, they just make, make you do it anyway. So the stuff that I was doing before, like you just can't do it because you would literally die. Uh, so, um, I think those are really, really salient points. I want to jump into something cause you talked about kind of your transition from dancing into, into, um, being a founder and, and running your own shop. Both of those things are really, really challenging. Um, you talked obviously about your sobriety, which is epic. We can talk about that. I'm, I'm long time sober as well. Um, what keeps you going? You know, this stuff, again, we've, we've said it now probably 50 times. So, uh, we're beating it with a dead horse. It's really hard. Um, and there are a billion books on how to do it. Um, but none of them are actually operating your business. And so they lack any, there's like, you know, very broad strokes, fundamentals, but no actual operating your specific business with your use cases and all of your intricacies and nuances. So what keeps you going on a day-to-day -day basis? I had a teacher and he said to me that if you have a performance and you believe it was perfect, that is the day you should retire. And what he was saying was that there's, especially with, with so much precision that happens uh, in ballet, that there's always something else that you want to do um, differently. Or like, even if you had the best incredible performance, you're going to get a correction and that's okay. And so it's this crazy uh, pursuit of perfection, I think that drove me a lot um, in in dancing. But as I said earlier, I just love the practice of it. Every day for 14 years, I took a ballet class and I just loved it. I loved going back to the fundamentals day in and day out. And I think a lot of people chase hype. They chase the big deals. They chase so much stuff without just loving that day-to-day. -day. Like I just get me into Premiere Pro, like get me in some editing. Like, I don't think like, obviously as I expand my team, I want to give and get more help on a lot of these things. But when it comes to the creation and really my day-to-day -day needs to be centered around the creation, everything else, all parts of business will be centered around that creation. And what really drives me is that there is billions and billions of dollars going towards advertisement. And most, I think, don't have this um, conversion mindset. And I think that there's so much opportunity to create epic commercials that look beautiful, high-end production, but also can really change a business. And ultimately, my goal is to, to, to do a Super Bowl ad. And I'm not going to stop until I, I get that opportunity. Um, that's a that's a dream of mine. I've always grown up watching the Super Bowl, seeing those ads, and I've always wanted to do that. And so I am doing the work day in and day out to build a production company and production studio to get to that level eventually to give myself that shot of that dream. I also know that it's not going to happen overnight. I know that, you know, it's not just going to be one client and then that's it. It takes this work. And so I know that everything that I'm doing today, um, whether it's for a smaller brand, is going to help give me the resources to continue to grow and grow and grow to get to that point to have that opportunity. Well, you're my first call when we run our, our pencil Super Bowl ads in a few years. Um, All right. Hey, yeah. I'm ready. It's, it's, I'm ready. It's here. It's here. So you can literally call, call me and be like, dude. You said it. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I think first of all, it's, I, um, I love setting, setting goals. I think one thing we all think is everything is a linear path. And if, if this story tells you anything, 
there's nothing linear about it. It is just, I set myself, I will be successful. And then it's just atoms exploding across time as you kind of try to step forward. And it might be kind of one step forward, to, then two steps to the left and two steps to the right, etc. cetera. Um, but as long as there is inertia, you know, what we were talking about at the beginning, as long as there is inertia and we're like, there is movement, good things can happen. Um, so I want to like dive in to a few more tactical things, but my, my first big one, as we transition to that is you talked about how everything shut down in Austin, all of your local clients, that business evaporated essentially, and you saw an opportunity in DTC e-commerce. What was the moment or maybe service or something, or even like way you framed your offering that you felt like, okay, this is, this is a massive opportunity and I can win at this because it is a big pivot, right? From going local businesses to saying, okay, I'm now going to serve essentially the world and I've got to go, I can't just walk into someone's office or store and pitch my services. I've got to be good on camera and hope that they, you know, just buy into our services. Cause I can't do the kind of, you know, charming in-person mat cell. Yeah. So, um, there's this really big debate uh, about like, you know, pretty ads versus ugly ads and, and, you know, should we do what converts or not? And not to necessarily fully get into that, but I think one of the biggest problems for so many people when it came to the pretty ads is the fact that they were hiring a production studio that cared more about the camera gear and the lighting and getting it right than actually having the conversion intention when it came to planning. And so that is what I saw as the difference. You should have high quality images and photos. You can't do a billboard with an iPhone photo. I'm sorry to tell you that. That's just not gonna happen. And to be quite honest, when you look at the unique economics, you can take one photo and do it. You can put that on an email, SMS. You can put that on a flyer. You can put that on a mailer. You can do so much with just one photo. So a high quality photo really actually goes a long way. And it's a lot better than, you know, just having some influencer take a shot or even one of these UGC creators take a shot on their iPhone. But I say that because now it's not just about them looking good. You need those photos and videos to actually convert and actually have an impetus. So when we plan those photos and videos to be used, there needs to be, well, why do customers buy? Let's figure that out. Once we figure that out, now that's going to craft the visuals. The visuals come when we actually understand why people buy, what would the setting look like? Um, you know, what does the script look like when we're creating, you know, uh, like maybe more of a, of a spoken, uh, you know, video. And so that ultimately was the biggest thing that I saw was we can have high quality visuals that also convert. And again, that's my dream is that I look at a lot of these TV commercials and I say, wow, we are missing out. Like they're beautiful visuals, but it's just like this sexy commercial. And then all of a sudden it's like a random logo at the end. But could we not show that product or that car a little bit nicer or show off it in a way that, um, you know, speaks to the buyer to actually get them to actually buy and convert? I think there's a lot of possibility there. Um, and so that was the main thing that I'm trying to preach to people. It's not about the camera you shoot on. It's about the intention behind why you create it. So just, I, I'm like, I'm trying to bring up all the things that I want to talk about there. So that was fantastic. What I think the, like the first thing that comes to mind, which is like a, amazing hot take that you should absolutely put on Twitter is um, talking about how high quality photo shoots actually will go farther than going and getting a bunch of UGC. Um, and if you kind of amortize that cost across all the channels that you're going to use it on, the unit economic actually make a lot more sense than going and sourcing a bunch of stuff that only works in one place. Um, and probably you can't get much a lot of times you can't get much mileage out of because you see that it's a yeah, dud. Yeah, it, it dies like, in two weeks. It dies in it dies in two weeks, and that and that's that. 
I mean, the, the way I always talk to people about it, it's funny because you say like creative stack. And so now I have to say like your creative asset stack, which is you shouldn't just have high quality videos. You shouldn't just have UGC. You should have a bit of everything. And what you're really experimenting with is what do I need m the most of? And trying to figure out what the configuration is and obviously listening to what's happening in the marketplace and say, okay, well, these things are resonating with people. Okay. Let me go and experiment with that. I have like, you know, a 10% allocation for experimentation on new, new asset types, et cetera. Um, for instance, like I'll, I'll give you one. We've been seeing a lot more people use stock recently. Um, and that wasn't the case before people would go source their own stuff. They go do photo shoots, et cetera. What's been happening the last month and a half? Well, macroeconomic headwinds have been happening. So people are trying to find ways to kind of work with that and not have to go take on like bigger, bigger shoots. Um, so I think that's a really, really important one to recognize is sometimes it feels like the upfront cost is a lot, but the actual asset usage and the lifetime value of that asset is a lot longer. And I think we don't talk about assets in that way as living, breathing things. Whereas we do talk about ads and ad accounts as these living, breathing things, but assets are the same thing. They, they live and breathe with the clients that are consuming them. So that's one I think is, is a really, really good call out. The second one, which I think we should, we should definitely dive into a little bit more is people say, make pretty ads, make ugly ads. But the real thing we're talking about is make things that consider the customer's experience that they're having. And so I say this a lot behind every data point is a human having an experience, a singular experience. And so how do we essentially say, okay, there's these, we're going to serve, we know what this budget, we're going to serve 10 million impressions over the next month. And we know that 70% of these people feel like this. How do we serve the most of them with the most unique experience, but that serves the most of them so that we can get the most mileage out of say this photo shoot, et cetera. Or we know that shooting these four different assets, um, will allow us to have the most coverage, um, of those, of those customers that we think are in market. And so my, my question to you off of that statement is how do you communicate that with customers who are used to just dealing with, I just want to make pretty shit or cool shit because you're essentially saying, I want to do a paradigm shift. It's not just about, okay, let's make pretty stuff, which is a general way that this has been working for years. It's, I want to make stuff that matters to people. How do you communicate that? And what's been, when did you come to that realization that that was important? Yeah, that's, that's definitely a, uh, it's definitely an interesting question. Um, just really quickly before we jump into that, I think about if we look at how to use pencil, this is, this is an ad for pencil right now, is the best way to use it is if you have more assets. And so what I've learned is how can, a, how can you use AI to your advantage? Uh, well, if you only have four photos and one video clip, pencil's not gonna do you much good. Like it'll work, but not, uh, not a lot, right? So when you think about the breadth of these assets, you know, if you have a, hundred photos, you're going to be able to do a lot with that, right? There's hundreds, there's hundreds of thousands of combinations in which, you know, you could create certain ads and test a bunch of ads to the point where you, there's literally more than you need ever. Um, you probably will never get to. Um, and so when I, when I think about communicating those things, um, you know, it's, it's about the unique economics, right? So getting that, so understanding that the second thing is, um, and this is where kind of I, I definitely will push back on why you need quote unquote pretty ads is because if you go to the same source to get the same UGC and the same everything, you are no different than your competitor. So what is the thing that's going to make you stand out? Yes, people say it's creative. It is creative. But what it is, is the visual brand. Why you like what like your brand stands for. And so many people don't realize how much emotion um, and stories told through even just one photo, but even through videos. And so there's a big push online, uh, especially recently on Twitter, where you have a lot of these, you know, paid, you know, media people who are kind of really focused on the data and the ROAS. And I respect that. They're, they're like, okay, it's a little clickbaity, but it converts. So like, you got to do what you got to do. And I push back on that because what I try to say is, 
And, and what I try to communicate to clients is, is that it's not just about the video or, or photo that you see in the ad. It's about the customer journey from start to finish. And I believe that it needs to be cohesive. So yes, it's a pretty ad and maybe it doesn't convert the same way as that clickbaity ad, but you have established the, as your first impression, uh, like what your brand is about. So then when they go onto your website, it's cohesive. It makes sense because a buyer's journey is so dynamic. That's why you attribution is such a hard thing. So if attribution is such a hard thing and there's so many channels, well, you need those channels to be cohesive. So you need to have a creative partner that actually understands not just how to make a good UGC video, but also can take great photos for your product page that can be then used, you know, on your ads. And so really, when you think about it, there's not a lot of creative studios that are focused again on that full stack creative. And that is what I communicate to people because there's plenty of agencies out there that will do UGC. They'll do paid media plus, you know, some graphic design or whatever, but there's nobody that's just focused on photos and videos. And it's a little scary to do that. It's really scary to niche down and just be like, we're never going to do email marketing. We're never going to do SMS. We're never going to do that. But the reason why is because the brands that have won in D2C is because they have focused on their visual brand. So if we can help other brands do that, amazing. And so that's what we really focus on. And that's what we communicate to clients. So you bring up a topic that uh, I'm very passionate about, um, which is what we're always trying to find ways to make moats around the business, right? So you've probably seen me tweet about this quite a bit. It's one of my, my regular weeklies is creative really is the moat you can create around your business that you have the most control over. You can't control when I got an email today from a, from a brand that I'm really excited about some new products that they're launching. The stuff got sent left at the port, right? It's going to be two weeks late. No big deal because I'm bought in on the brand and the story. So I was like, all right, that's cool. Um, and that's a great customer experience, which is part of the brand, right? Um, but creativity and the way that you communicate visually and emotionally, because that's, that's also that message you wrote today, which is what is what is brand versus branding. And -hmm. there is a dichotomy, which I think you should go into a little bit next. That is what sets companies apart and what allows, there are the companies we all think of, right? Um, I'll use just Obvi as an example, right? We all think we can think of them, but it's it's twofold, right? In D2C. So there's the internal world, the D2C that they've built with us, right? Which is they share so much stuff. They're amazing in the community. um, And they're very, you know, active, right? Within the community. So you're like, okay, they have a lot of goodwill. So that's kind of internal, whoops, internal community that they've, that they've built. But there's also the community that they've built, you know, on their, with their products, which is, you know, their Facebook group, all the people who are excited about their product, which they've been able to scale the business in a relatively short amount of time to a meaningful amount of revenue. That's all predicated on creative. I've talked to both of those guys. That's like very, very specific, um, what they're doing. And so, I'm curious because you wrote about this today is what are your views on how people should be actually doing branding? Um, because like you said, there is brand and then there is branding. So I would love for you to explain what kind of what you were saying there and then what you think people should actually be thinking about. Yeah. So the tweet that Chase is kind of referring to is I had a, a tweet that said basically the difference, this is the difference between branding and brand. Branding is logos, fonts, and colors, which is, you know, the thing that you see visually. Brand is the emotional connection that a person has to your product or company. It's the je ne sais quoi. It's the thing that we don't know. It's that tug in our heart that we feel. And, you know, it's different for each brand. And I've written about this before, but Athletic Greens, this is why they have great brand. Because not because of their fog, like logo and fonts and design, although they have pretty ads, I've never bought their product, but I feel that tug every single time. Because no matter if I've been hit up on Instagram, on Twitter, on YouTube, anywhere, wherever they are, they have some core values and core you know messages and visuals that I have seen over and over and over again, and that I feel that tug. 
Now there's a brand like Olipop who I've bought before and I get a different tug, right? But that tug is, uh, there's no questions asked. It's when I see it, I'm going to grab it and I'm going to buy it because I have a different emotional connection with that company. And that changes or that's different per company, right? But when you think about brand, you want to think about how can I have an emotional connection with the customers? Because ultimately at the end of the day, no matter what other paid growth people say, uh, you know, we are emotional human beings and we don't buy uh, rationally. What we do is we buy emotionally and then we justify it rationally. So yes, like there are ads that have, you know, your five reasons why you should buy, but ultimately it's that je ne sais quoi that actually gets us over the edge to buy. And then we rationalize it after we have seen, you know, that listicle or that ad about five reasons why we should buy or use this product. And so knowing the definition of brand and understanding what that is truly at the core of it is relationship with your customers. I try to tell people how do you create content that actually creates an emotional bond with the customer? That's not only just top of funnel. You need to be, we are on a podcast. Why? Because Pencil is trying to build an emotional connection with you, the listener, so that eventually when you're ready, maybe you're not ready right now, but maybe eventually you will be ready to use the software. When you think about it, you're going to be like, oh, I'm going to go to Pencil. Why? Because you've already built this emotional connection with them as a brand, um, even though you haven't really like used them. It's not a, about the product necessarily. And so in the same way, you know, you don't just need to be creating content for, you know, customers top of funnel to get new customers. Talk about retention. Hello. The reason a successful business is all about not churning. Why is Apple so successful? Because once they get one person into their ecosystem, they are in their ecosystem forever. So they're not worried about customer acquisition. They're just focused on making sure that they've retained those people. How do they do it? They do it on massive campaigns uh, to build that brand. What are they focused on right now? Privacy. Even if it's true or not, that's the message because they are now wanting you to attach brand and emotional connection with, I want to be with the trustworthy companies. So that's what they're going to do. So really think about how you can create an emotional connection with your customers from top down. Don't just focus on ads. Think about your content organically. Think about your emails. Think about your SMS. It all is together. Why you should work with Good Osus is for that reason, because we think about you know content, not just for UGC to get your customer acquisition costs down, but also to help you build that long-form content or that podcast or whatever for your customers that have bought three, four, 10 times. That is a great segue into anti-rapid fire. Um, what, like, where do you get your best ideas? I think like we're talking about some really, really deep, intense stuff that's come from, I think some really like deep life experiences. How do you source ideas right now for the business? The best way to source ideas um, is look at other industries, look outside and try to figure out what is working for another industry. And then how can you um, do that for, for yourself? That's true for running a business that can be true for ads. But I think also too, like, I, I think that there is a lot of, you know, boring B2B, um, you, you know, marketing, but there's also a lot of really great B2B marketing. And I think that there's a lot of things and, and, and playbooks that direct consumer brands need to focus on because B2B companies are focused on retention. Why? Because they are mainly focused on software as a service. So they're focused on, okay, let's get our MRR up, right? So what are they going to do? They're going to build out content and events so that they can get people to stay within their software as a service. In the same way, like so many DTC brands are so focused on customer acquisition and Facebook ads, and they've got a leaking bucket. So what are we doing from other businesses, other industries that are like, wow, these, this, this is a great business and they don't, they're not losing any of their, uh, their customers. Why is that? 
Well, let's look at their content. Let's look at how they are communicating with their customers. How can we take that experience and inject that into DTC? So really it's not about me coming up with brand new concepts. It's really just stealing from other people uh, in other industries. And then how can I, you know, formulate that, dissect it and formulate it into that direct to consumer, you know, sphere. I think everyone should really, really listen to what Matt just had to say, which is B2B companies are incredible at this building the sense of perceived value in between the actual value extraction moments, um, which is like, say you use pencil twice a month on the, you know, the 15th and the 30th. Well, what do we do between the first and the 14th and the 16th and the 29th to make you feel good about it? Well, we put out podcasts, we put out YouTube content, we have Twitter, Twitter going, we have to, you know, make TikTok work. All of these places say, well, this is pretty dope. We send email reports, all of these things. A bunch of different B2B companies are doing this well, but I think DDC companies can take this and say, okay, well, how does this work for us, given what our customer expects of us and then what we have that's our unique selling proposition? And so, for instance, Viore, I, I talk about them so much on this because I'm just, I, all I wear is that. Um, but what they're doing is like they'll, they do yoga classes um, on Instagram Live. Shit, a free yoga class from you know a top person. I'll do that. Um, and so when they do that, I'll jump on and just get a few get a few stretches in or, or learn something new. Um, so yeah, I definitely think all of that is really really important and salient. So great call out there. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? The best piece of advice I've ever received. Um, dang, that is such a good question. Um. I can't really say that there's one um, just because I think that, you know, there's a lot of culmination of, you know, my training with ballet that's really helped. Um, but I would say that when I think about like what has really helped me guide me throughout my whole life <clears throat> is going back to that identity. Um, you know, one of the things I didn't mention, but want to mention is uh, a guy named Chris McAllister. He actually was, he's an executive coach and I went through his training program, um, you know, a few years back and his whole program is called figure that shift out. And it's about really understanding your identity fear. We all have an identity fear and it drives us to either prove or to hide. And so that training has real, like has just drastically changed who I am. And I'm able to talk about all of this today because of this guy. So it's not like one time, like this one thing, but you can buy his book online. You can go through his program. It's amazing. Um, and then ultimately I just like all the, I, I was able to work with some of the best, um, you know, ballet instructors in the world. Um, and I think just being in that, that environment is it's hard, but it, it's really shaped who I am. That's not a piece of advice, but I think, um, that really shaped who I am. And I think that, you know, not everybody needs to be this professional ballet dancer, but look back on the hardest parts of your life and think about how did you overcome them? And when did you win? We all have wins, big or small. Take those wins because those will help give you confidence and build more confidence to get more wins in the future. And so, I'm learning how to, 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 to own my story, own your story, um, and own your identity and not tie your work to it. I love that. What do you think is, is your superpower or the skill that served you best in life? My superpower. Dang. I've never really thought about this. Um, but I think when I think about building this business, I think at the core of it is that I love to tell stories visually. I did that with ballet. Ballet, there is no talking. There's no singing. There's no talking. It's not a musical. This is just straight up classical music and a person, you know, dancing on stage for multiple hours. And you've told this incredible story that's taken people to a whole new world. Uh, and I trained really hard to learn how to do that. And now I'm training. I still consider myself training 
to do that visually uh, with photos and videos, same concept. And when I think about how am I going to succeed in this business, it's because at the core of it, I want to create. Um, and I think a lot of people get into, um, you know, maybe doing, you know, creative work for brands because they see that there's good money in it or they start a, an agency because, you know, not because they're passionate about email, but because they want to, you know, make X amount of dollars, uh, per month. Totally fine. That's great. And I don't, I'm not here to judge anybody for that, but I know for me at the core of it, what's going to help good o studios and you know the success the superpower is that i'm building a team that wants to truly create um and that's going to be from top down and if people um resonate with that then i think those are going to be the people that are going to want to work with us and lastly if you were talking to someone maybe three years behind you, um, who's thinking about starting something, it doesn't have to be good O studios or something similar, but just wants to start an entrepreneurial journey. What do you wish someone had told you that you think you could, you know, if you're sending the elevator back down, what would that be? I would say not start. And I think that that's a funny uh, thing to do uh, or to say, but the reason why I think it's taken me a while to get to where I am today is because I never had any experience in this world. And granted, you know, I applied for jobs right out of, you know, coming out of my injury, but I didn't have a college degree and I wasn't going to wait for four years to get a college degree. Um, and so even though I knew a lot about social media or I could talk about social media, you know, four years ago, People still really were not, you know, hiring internally without a college degree. Like it was just very hard to kind of get there. And so what ended up happening is I ended up having to say yes to a lot of jobs, not because I wanted to do those jobs, but because I had to make money. And so I think that actually kind of slowed me. I don't regret it, but it just slowed me because I was just, that was, you know, my, my experience. That was my situation. But when I think about if you should start, how should you start? Work for somebody else. Work and see how. what are the systems. I didn't know what a sales CRM was. Figure that out before you start on your own. Like steal all the systems from other people because you will be, you will start like light years ahead of where I started. And to be quite honest, you know, my goal with Goodo Studios is I want it to be almost like a, a, like a training ground for some of the best creators in the world. I hope that they come, they work with us, they learn how we operate, and then they can then go out on their own and do their own thing. Um, if they want to work for us forever, amazing. But also I, I understand if they don't. So my goal is how can I train people to uh, to to go out and, and do their own thing? Because I think that's an incredible opportunity if they would like to do that. So I think if you're going to start work for other people in your industry or whatever, really learn and understand how it works. And then, you know, go do your own thing. I wish I could have worked at a production company. I wish I could have worked at a DTC brand. I didn't really have that opportunity. And I think that that's not necessarily hurt me, but it's taken a lot of time to, to kind of get up to speed. Um, and I think that would have helped me, uh, in the past. I love that. That's, uh, it's so important to remember how much amazing knowledge and mentorship opportunities there are out there. And my dad always says, going to college, um, as much as you think there's a lot of theoretical stuff, it's a, it's a very cheap way to fail, actually. Like, we all look at student debt, and obviously that's, a, that's shitty. Um, totally. But you can go and figure out a lot of things there if you really take your the you know the opportunity upon yourself to figure out stuff test things you know even build a club there for instance um like you get to build structures etc that can be kind of these micro businesses before you get there so this is all really great matt this was kick-ass thank you for being so open and willing to share your story um I, uh, I really, really appreciate it. I think people are very lucky to learn from you. How should they interact with you? How should they get in touch with Goodo Studios? We'll obviously link it in the show notes, but what's the, what's the best way to chat with you? 
Yeah, just uh, follow me on on Twitter, Matthew Gatozzi, just my name. And then, uh, you know, if you want to go on to Gato Studios website, we have a place where you can book a call if you're interested, mm-hmm. if you want to chat. If you have any questions, my DMs are always open. I'm always talking to pretty much anybody that follows me. I say thank you, and yeah. uh, I ask how I can support them. So, um, you know, please DM me. I'm here to help. You made it through another episode of Ad Creative. I hope it was really valuable and you enjoyed your time with our amazing guest. Please like, share, and subscribe. We want to be able to share this message and these amazing learnings that we're able to extract on a weekly basis with as many people as possible so that we can help them grow their business. For now, really excited that you made it here and we're looking forward to you being on the next one with us. Thanks.